This podcast is by G. Wayne Miller for the Providence Journal. I'm sure you all know this in Rhode Island, but Rhode Island has tested more of its population than any other state in the union. And from the very beginning, the governor and her staff really focused on the important role of testing and diagnosis across the state. And it was really a pleasure to be here in the university as they moved to mandatory testing in their student body to really understand the depth and breadth of the viral spread and really understand how to contain asymptomatic spread, which we think is the most common type of infection in young people. We got to be briefed by the president who talked about their plan and the, the message I wanted to carry across the 23 universities where we've been and the 32 or so states is the universities that spent their summer, their spring and their summer really planning and then willing to have a, an adaptable and flexible plan that was comprehensive, comprehensive and collaborative, which we saw here and we've seen at several universities, bringing together science and data in a non-stovepipe way, but in a, in a transparent and horizontal platform way. And I think that's what you hope our research and universities are doing across the United States, not only in their education, but in their approach to COVID. It's very interesting to hear someone talk about the thousands of hours and the millions of dollars that they have spent um, both time and money to really ensure that the students, faculty, the staff, and the community remain safe through this experience. And I think that actual grounding in utilizing data to create a greater understanding of how to prevent spread has been really critical. Uh, we were very excited to hear about the work that they're doing in their own testing development um, from Dr. Angela Slit, and really hear just now and see the data. Um, I won't bore you with all the R squared values, but it's a very promising test. And what's exciting to us about it is it works outside of the PCR platforms using different reagents that will make the test more applicable, not only here, but potentially around the globe. And listening to her students and her focus on solving problems now for Rhode Island, United States, and others around the globe. Um, we talked about the critical need both here in the state and in the university to expand surveillance testing, to increase wastewater testing, and ensure, and what was also critically important is in the planning they created adequate isolation and quarantine sites. Finally, it's just been really terrific to go university to university and see the level of dedication. I just want to call out again, really the immense, immense grateful, gratefulness I have for staff of universities who spent the summer creating physical distance. Physical distance, you see it behind us, but imagine this, we've been to universities where they had to do it in a thousand buildings. And this is what staff did over the summer. This is what they continue to do to keep students safe. There's great signage, it's clear. We saw that one of our favorite signs we saw here, which talked about the student's phone, mask, ID, wallet, to just remind them that a mask is part of what we do every day now. Um, so combining physical distancing, combining a mask, and ensuring that we continue to wash our hands and just decontaminate services, we've seen that throughout the university. And we're very excited to be here on a day when they have the last, yesterday and now today, 
will reach more than three or 4,000 students tested. And I think they're on a great momentum to get through all of the students with testing on this university and then sustain that over time. So I'll be happy to take um, any questions related to the trip and the university. Doctor, what's the message that you're trying to impart here in the Northeast? So early on, beginning of several weeks ago, and I'm sure you've been watching this also across the Northeast, we see small upticks, and I know it's subtle, a small uptick in test positivity, a small uptick in the number of cases. And we know with the weather change, people will move indoors. And what we've seen across the South is that when you had that small uptick in percent positivity in cases, it was the beginning of significant asymptomatic silent spread in the community. And so it really carried the message for the Northeast that this, this current phase of the epidemic will not look like March and April. This is not going to be viral spreading specifically through workplaces and institutions that we saw before in the March-April time. This is much more subtle and I think it is because institutions in the public space from dining rooms to restaurants to Starbucks to takeout food, they've created safe spaces internally. And so they've physically distanced and they've provided clear direction. So now where we see the spread across the country and what happened is it's really in friends and family gatherings. And I think really we came to carry the message that the silent spread across the South that occurred after Memorial Day was friends and families, asymptomatic individuals not knowing that they were infected, spreading the virus within their friends and family. And by the time you saw cases increase at hospitals and emergency room, there was a depth of spread across the communities that was quite great. We know we coming out of high holy days and going into time when families do gather, that we have to have better surveillance at the community levels really looking for this asymptomatic spread. And what do I mean by that? Testing in nursing homes and assisted living and senior centers where the staff are a representation of the community. Getting testing into K through 12 teachers and getting testing into community college so you can see those early asymptomatic representative of communities and really see what's happening community by community so you can stop the asymptomatic spread before it gets to vulnerables in, in, in households. Given what you've seen and learned about Rhode Island, are you concerned, extra concerned about what's going on here or do you think you're on the right track? You have all been on the right track throughout the spring and summer. We just wanted to alert um, both the, across the Northeast to the changing of the viral dynamics and how as, as workplaces, as public areas have retail groups have really created safe spaces where we're seeing the spread occur now is in private spaces where we feel comfortable, where we take off our mask and we invite in our neighbors and friends. And that's what's resulting in now community spread. And so really understanding where that's happening, stopping it before it becomes broad based and really proactively giving messages to communities about how to safely gather, how to be socially engaged but physically distant, and really protecting the grandparents, those with vulnerabilities, and it really may come to us wearing masks inside um, during social events and really significantly physically distancing during any time that we remove our masks for eating or drinking. What is your response to the New England Journal 
of Medicine it's editorial today basically slamming the Trump administration, um, saying that there were lies out there, it was inconsistently handled. You know, everybody will look at this in the way they're going to look at it. And they will, I'm sure there will be, just like with the Spanish flu, decades of analysis of what happened and what didn't happen. I'm right now in the middle of an epidemic where we're trying to ensure that everyone has a message of how we move through this together to really ensure the safety of our family, our households, and our communities. And so I'm very interested in carrying that message of that we can together change the outcome of this virus in the United States. And I think what we wanted the Northeast to know is that it's not going to look like March and April. That if you wait till it looks like March and April with people coming to the hospital, there will have been a lot more asymptomatic spread. So really working with governors and mayors to really work on how we provide what we call sentinel surveillance to see those early spreading in communities and stop them before they become wider spread. Are you optimistic about the response to a vaccine whole time for years that things will be normal with a vaccine? Everyone's paying attention to it. How do you feel when it comes to where the where I well, I've been very, you know, obviously we're tracking every day where, what progress we're making in therapeutics, really ensuring, and another critical message across the United States to every person in every hospital, that treatments work best early. We've learned that with the flu. If you're going to use antivirals, if you're going to use antibody cocktails, whether it's convalescent plasma or the new monoclonal antibodies that are going to become available, they're most effective when they're used early. We have another set of therapeutics from anticoagulation to steroids that, are, that can be utilized effectively late. And so the work that's been done across the country in therapeutics is critical on the work in the vaccine. I think you know we have three main candidates progressing rapidly through their, what we call their end stage phase three trial. Um, two of those are highly advanced. In other words, people have gotten their second shot and now they're being, and now we're counting events, not we, um, but the, the individuals in those studies. Um, and then when those events are triggered, when there's a certain number of events, there's a trigger that calls the Data Safety Monitoring Board together. That's an independent body not associated with any of the clinical trials who will review that data. And I think in parallel, what's important is those va vaccines are being manufactured. So the minute we have a safe and efficacious vaccine, each governor will, is working right now on their vaccine plans to decide who gets immunized first, who's in line first, how we're going to get them that vaccine, and mobilizing the logistics of the military and our excellent healthcare delivery services to get those vaccines available immediately. So what I, I can tell you, when there's a vaccine that's shown to be efficacious, there is a whole group behind ready to mobilize that has the syringes, the alcohol wipes, and the ability to move that vaccine to where it's needed state by state. When might a vaccine be available widespread? We're being told November, that seems very ambitious. I think what, to me, the most important question right now is when will we have the answer on safety and efficacy? Because vaccine products are coming off of lines right now and are being stockpiled. And so what the question in my mind still is, is when will we have that signal that shows that these vaccines are safe and efficacious? And I think there is preparatory work happening right now on distribution, but more importantly, what we've been talking to the governors about 
is who and how do they want us to distribute first. And I think the governors have been critical leaders. I've talked about the work done here by your governor um, in testing and making sure that communities are aware of the different types of spread and what we're asking for and in increasing surveillance, but also working in that very clear when is the vaccine available that it's able to get to the people who need it most right then. What's your best estimate on when a vaccine could be widely available? Well, what I can tell you is I've worked on vaccines for almost 30 years. This one, compared to HIV, TB, and malaria, is um, pretty straightforward in that all six, all six different candidates on three different platforms are targeting the same protein. So we have an immunologic roadmap in this particular disease about what neutralizing antibody is important. And so what I can tell you is the immunogenicity of vac these vaccines map what we believe is immunologically important. And I think your question really gets to what is the sequence of that safety and efficacy signal. The first two could potentially, I mean, you've heard the CEOs of the companies talk about that they think that they're going to be looking at signals at the end of this month. I don't, I can't predict with the Johnson & Johnson product or the other ones that are moving behind that when that signal will come. It could come in December, it could come in January, because it depends on the amount of spread of the virus at that time after the immunization. And I'm actually trying to work against that by decreasing the spread of the virus. And so together, I'm hoping we decrease the spread of the virus across the United States. That will take, make it longer to find answers to vaccines after these first three candidates. Have you spoken with the president since his illness became manifested a week ago? I do not speak to people who are in care for their illness. I think that's really important that he's speaking to his doctors, the medical unit of the White House, and certainly my Walter Reed colleagues that I trained with 40 years ago, um, that they're his doctor. Um, I'm out as uh, really talking about and going state to state to really understand what's happening on the ground and really critically having that dialogue with the leaders, with the community. I'm not asking if you cared for him or gave him any, well, did you give him any? Have you spoken with him? Uh, on a not since he's become ill. Uh, no. Doctor, since he's become ill, he's back in the Oval Office today. Is it really safe for Rhode Islanders or Americans to go back to work a few days after being in the hospital or back in the I am sure he's following the advice of his doctors and the situation on the ground. Just like I told you, I'm coming out to evaluate the situation on the ground. I'm not there, so I cannot really speak to what's happening, particularly in the White House. What I can tell you, what we've learned from everybody that we have worked with across the country, that physical distancing and mask work, whether you're inside or outside. And so I can't second guess how they've set up the White House, but I can tell you, and you can see it in the restaurants, you can see it in your Starbucks, although this Starbucks in this town was particularly, we couldn't even go inside. So that was a whole new experience for us. So I think people are following instructions very well here to really help protect not, not only the people who are patrons, but also protecting the staff and the workers. And I think that's what you see, and that's what's been heartening in these university trips, is really seeing the entire university bringing people together, understanding that the staff, the faculty, the administration, and the students are in this together to protect one another. But they've provided the physical plant that creates that physical space and that ability to learn 
to remain physically distanced but socially engaged. Actually, and I think these. that's really critical for all of us. We have time for two more. These trips and in your travels, are you satisfied with the way your message is being received? You know, I don't think any of us in public health are ever satisfied. It doesn't matter what it, what epidemic you're working on, and I've worked on a lot of them around the globe. I think, you know, we always want um, our message to be heard and internalized and utilized in a, always in a more on a higher percent. And I think what what we wanted to carry for a message across the Northeast that what you're doing in public is great but we have to figure out how to bring that safety into the household and into any groups we bring into the household. Is it because it's gonna be flu season? And I wanna take this, this wonderful woman who's been waiting. And I just wanna ask, can you just share a little bit of the dialogue you have with the students and what message do you have directly to the students at the University of Rhode Island? You know, to every one of the students, and I, I wanna say this to all of the campus I've been able to visit, the student government leadership and frankly many of the, the Greek leaders have been really critical peer-to-peer -peer leaders and that's how messages are often best conveyed and I have met incredible student government association leaders across the United States working peer by peer and what we're seeing across the United States in many of these universities and I call your attention to the websites of Clemson, University of South Carolina, University of Alabama, Ole Miss, certainly here. We have seen outbreaks of universities and there is a group of students that may have not heard our message in the detail or acted on it in the detail that we would have liked. Those are the students have, who have become initially infected. But I wanna make it clear, the majority of the, the student base is still holding following instructions, following the guidelines, using masks, forming very small pods that they work together to stay safe together. Um, that becomes their social unit on campus. And I've been really inspired by their ability to follow through. And I think what I'd like our message to be is learning from the student behavior on campus, taking that off campus into their housing and into our homes to really ensure we do the same thing. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it.